Welcome to the NRL's Tackle Coaching Podcast, where the game's leading minds share their experiences to help you improve in all areas of coaching. Now, here's your host, Scott Sattler. Hey, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Scott Sattler here with the second episode of Tackle Coaching for NRL Podcast. With me are three very important members of the National Rugby League as we focus on the coach's influence on the well-being of, of players and, and coaches. And with me is Jess McCartney, who's the Community Manager for NRL Health. We've got Rennie Matua, Ambassador for State of Mind Program, and Dean Witters, the Indigenous Pathways Managers. Uh, welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Now, I suppose to start things off, Rennie, you're the most recently retired player. How's the transition been from playing to, to office life? Yeah, mate. It's, it was Obviously, it's very hard with that initial transition coming from the UK. Um, you know, I, I had a bit of an understanding of that it was going to be tough and I accepted the situation and Jessica came to my rescue a few months, uh, it's been about two months now and yeah, office life is different, uh, staring at a computer but you know, I'm in there for a good cause and I'm in that community section, that state of mind section and something that I'm passionate about so I'm really enjoying it and uh, getting used to it, yeah. We see the, the transition from playing, it doesn't matter whether it's NRL, whatever level it is in the, in the country, the regional areas, um, second tier competitions whatever it may be when it, whenever you retire from a, a team environment it's always really tough isn't it Rennie and I suppose you could have empathy knowing that you've got a lot of support around you from an NRL perspective being next player but also you'd have empathy for those that that don't have that overall day-to-day support in the regional areas yeah absolutely I think it's something that we need to probably focus on a lot because the transition is tough and, and no one expects it um, you think you're going to play rugby league forever uh, you know, when I when I did retire, I was educated enough to know that it was going to be tough, and I accepted the sit the situation. And uh, I, you know, I just I just hung in there. And, and for other players that are coming out of the game, they might think they're going to fall on their feet and, and land a job straight away. Uh, obviously, it wasn't the case for myself. And um, like I mentioned earlier, eventually I did get that job. So um, you know, we need to keep an eye on those people in society and rugby league in general, um, and make sure that transition is as smooth as possible. The NRL have education programs in place, which, you know, we, we do want our players to take up while they're playing. Um, obviously the, the grind of the game is very tough and it's hard to get an education behind you and try and play rugby league at the same time. So it's about finding that balance. Um, and, and the NRL is doing a lot to work on that. So we, as long as we keep educating, uh, pushing that, that uh that balance and um you know making that transition as smooth as possible um you know we'll have a lot less you know problems with people that are retiring so dino you're a coach and as a coach is it more about understanding the personalities the home life the the cultural background more so than the actual hands-on coaching yeah i think definitely uh, um you got to get to know what these what kids are going through how you can improve their lives um and it's you know coaching and and developing as a player is all about creating good habits and if kids have got bad habits in their life or if they've been taught bad habits, well, you've got to help break those down. And sometimes going to break them down isn't, isn't the easiest thing. You've got to delve into the, the issues that they deal with their life and some of the stress that they might be dealing with. So getting to know your players off the field, help them develop off the field, um, on the on-field improvement becomes easy. Um, and I think that's uh, you know just a, a, a smarter way to do things with anything that you're trying to do if you're trying to get the best out of someone it's look into other parts of their life and help improve those other parts of life because that brings confidence and confidence is you know one of the biggest things with uh, learning new skills and, and uh, being good at it Jess I think too um, 
we end up, you know, definitely in the league season spending more time with our rugby league family than sometimes um, our own real family. And so we get to know people um, on a pretty close level. And so things like um, changes in behaviour and changes in circumstances um, are things that we can actually look out for uh, when we spend so much time with people. So I think um, we have an opportunity there to get to know people. And the better we know people and the more meaningful conversations we have with people, the easier it is for us to spot things if, if things aren't right. I spoke to Anthony Minicello and and Maddie King on, on our very first instalment of um, of this podcast. And, and Rennie, I'll, I'll throw this to you. As a coach, and I talk about understanding personalities and cultures, and has it become more individualised now as a coach or assistant coaches or you know your football managers, whatever it may be, understanding individually what that person and, and what pigeonhole he comes from? Yeah, I, absolutely. I th- we all come from very diverse backgrounds culturally. You know, some people come from housing commission, some people come from, you know, families that are single, uh, single parent homes. You know, there's, there's such a diverse personality of player within our game. So it's hard for the coach to be able to manage all those players. So it, it's, it's a group thing within the, go- the coaching staff. You get to a point in first grade where you're good enough uh, you as a player to play at that level. So I think of a Wayne Bennett. He's more of a mentor. I don't think he's more hands-on. I, I think he's more of a mentor for his players. Uh, they do have a, a good uh, coaching assistant team, most te- uh, coaches. So it's a, it's about you know having the welfare officer, the assistant coaches, and everyone um, recognizing that players are needed to be treated differently, need to be spoken different, spoken to differently. Um, yeah, I think the coaches do have a lot on their hands to be able to deal with it. It's not just up to the coach, it's up to his his staff in general. Is it harder to do uh, when, you're, when you're coaching Dean at, uh, at your regional level, your second tier level? Is it, is it harder to do where, to recognise those, those, the different individuals that you've got in terms, because you're not spending as much time with them? Yeah, you probably haven't got the resources, but I think you've also got that ability that the people that are playing at that level are there because they love the game mm. and they want to be part of something special, something good. So they've got that real want and need to be involved in something that's going to help them with other parts of their life. Uh, it's a real community rugby league is, is, is exactly that. It's about coming together for the better of the community. And if you can create that... Uh, value system in your club that culture in your club at, even at a local level um, you know it, it, it does wonders for for your club and I think if coaches that do go in with that sort of uh, focus about I'm here to coach the the, the personality the the person um, not the footballer mm. I think that's when you'll get the best results and, and it actually then makes your club a club that people want to be involved in and they want to put into more and that's what Community Rugby League is all about is about how much effort and how much you're going to put back into the club Yeah great point and we spoke before we start started this a, a story that that you were you were telling to me and a, and a situation you came across in Dolby where you had a big group and a, a young lad that was uh, wasn't really connecting with the group but you got to learn a little bit more about him. Yeah, yeah, I learned my lesson big time that day. And uh, I think, uh, you know, it's a, it, was a, it was a short story about this young kid wasn't engaging in any of the activities that we're doing. And I put a lot of time and effort into developing these activities. So I was getting angry, you know. I thought, you know, I've played rugby league for how many years and I'm come all the way out to Dolby to give my special message. And this kid's just ignoring and he's not, he's actually mucking up and, and stopping the rest of the kids from engaging. So I went looking for the kid and I was going to tell him that I didn't want him involved in my group. 
I couldn't find him. And the next day, I, I waited for him to walk into school, and then I saw him, and I thought, here I go, here's my chance. I'll go and tell him right at the start of the morning that he's not allowed to be involved for the rest of the day. And a teacher come halfway as I was walking towards him, stopped me and told me, she goes, this is the first time that young man's come to school two days in a row. And it made me think. And then she told me a little bit about his life and all the problems that he was dealing with. Um, you know, that was, And it just taught me a little bit about um, equality versus equity, about not treating everyone the same, about other achievement for one kid is different to achievement for another. You know, And um, we've got to take into account uh, people's upbringing, people's home life, what they're dealing with, the issues that they've had, and, and try and improve the individual you know, and, and stuff like that. And so I had a chat to the kid. I took a different approach. Um, and he went to school the whole week and then we went back there for another four or five weeks and his attendance had just skyrocketed and went so well as part of the program because we took a different tack with him and took a different interest. Can you remember his name? Yes, his name was Walter. Yeah, yeah. So he's yeah, had I a remember his name everywhere. He's had yeah, a profound effect on you, hasn't he? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Man, it reminds me of it every day when I'm dealing with kids. Yeah, now, Jess, uh, there's been a lot of focus on mental health over the last uh, you know, six to seven years, more so, I think, over the last 18 months to two years. And what's the advantages, advantages of league coaches having a real positive image and a positive attitude towards mental health with their players? I think that coaches can be really significant in the lives of everyone and um, I think they really set the tone for what's acceptable in terms of mental health and they have a real ability to reduce stigma by talking about mental health difficulties in the same way that they would physical health. You know, they've got a role to play in reducing stigma. They also have a role to play in um, encouraging help seeking and making sure that people are aware of what kind of services are available and they can make a real impact in that space. And not only that, but, you know, you look at one of the state of mind ambassadors like Darius Boyd and he has had a very public struggle with mental illness and um, he's now really well. He's sought the right treatment. He puts things in place now to look after himself and he's arguably playing the best football he's ever played. Mm. So if you're well off the field, I think on the field you're going to probably be at your best. And at grassroots level, there's things like you know retention of players and um, all of those kind of things. And I think a really special thing about grassroots rugby league is that often the rugby league club is the, the centre of town and it's the the place that all good things can come from if you get it right. And you can have a real ripple effect out into your community if you get things like mental health and well-being right at that level. Yeah, it becomes the lifeblood, doesn't it, of, yeah, of your town? Yeah, And like you might be coaching 17 or 25 um guys that are rugby league players for you on the weekend but away from that they're you know fathers they're brothers they might be students they could be on job sites so anything that you do um to reduce stigma and to get people talking about mental health and help seeking at footy can then have a profound effect on the rest of the community yeah if handled correctly rugby league's been a great tool hasn't it for for a lot of areas now i'm going to paint a scenario to to all three of you i'm, I'm a coach uh, I identify some worrying signs, um, whether it's health-related, discipline, um, whatever it may be, psychological concerns in one of my players, and I'm a coach in a small regional town. What are my options for support? Where do I go? Um, so I think the first thing you would notice is probably changes in behaviour, and I think um, a rule of thumb is to treat it in the same way you would treat any other injury concern. So, you know, if someone has done their ACL you would make sure that you'd had the conversation, seen how they're going, seen that they're checking on their rehab, seen that they'd seen the right physio or the right sports doctor if necessary. So rule of thumb, treat it the same as you would a physical injury. Um, reach out and ask that person 
um, how they're traveling and have those meaningful conversations. Um, for everyone in Australia, definitely your GP is the first point of call. So getting to the GP and even small towns will have one of those. So that's the first point of call. And that also opens up um, a mental health care plan, which is um, up to 10 sessions of um, mental health support from a professional per year. So there, um, there is good support there. So GP is a good place to start. Um, we work with an organisation called Headspace who are mental health support, which is bulk build, so all free for 12 to 25-year-olds. So if you fall into that age bracket, there's about 100 centres across Australia. So that does include some regional um, areas and they can be searched, but they also have a really good um, online service called eHeadspace, which is um, a chat option. So even if you're regional, if you've got access to the internet, people can access fully qualified counsellors via eHeadspace. But definitely for everybody, the GP is the first point of call. If you don't have a good relationship with your GP or you feel like you're not clicking with them or connecting with them, um, then by all means, switch GPs and find someone that you think is being heard. But um, that's something we can do. We can direct people to their GP. We can help them t- to make the appointment. We can sit with them in the appointment if we need to. Um, but getting them there is the first step and it opens up a whole lot of doors to other services. So Rennie and, and Dino, throughout your, your NRL careers, uh, your rugby league careers, were there coaches that uh, that you you were both coached by that that had this, I suppose, this, this mindset that it was, it was not about coaching it was more about the person. Can you give us some examples of some coaches you had that really had that that holistic view of a, of a player? Does anyone come to mind? Uh, for me, it was probably Steve Folks. You know, he was my first NRL coach um, and someone that I, I really admire and um, became really close to, to and still am. Um, I found him more, you know, I'd have uh, general conversation with him in his office about, you know, where my life was headed and obviously I'd been in, in trouble in, in certain areas within the game and, um, you know, and he just pointed out the true facts of where I was headed. And uh, at, when you're a young person and and you, your ego takes over, you don't you tend to just put that in the, in, in the background and not sort of listen to him. But as I've, I've gotten older, I, I've looked back on on what Steve probably told me and and should have taken note more notice of what he was telling me. So you know, it all comes with maturity and and how you process what they're telling you. So yeah, definitely Steve Folks is someone that stands out for me for sure. And with you, Rennie, there's there's also been you know, very publicised, and you so courageously spoke about uh, what you went through from in regards to your um, psychologically and emotionally. You were really struggling there for a long time, and and there was there were players that you played with that identified the signs. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't until after the fact that uh, a lot of players sort of said. I knew something was wrong with you and they didn't sort of say anything and I don't blame them at all. You know, I'm either the life of the party or I was a recluse, you know, and, um, they were just some signs that they'd picked up over, you know, a 10 month period. Um, what were some of those signs? Uh, well, just being the life of the party, you know, you know, joking around in the changing room. And then some days I wouldn't say a word to anyone. I'd have, I wouldn't even shower. I'd grab my bag and just get out of there straight in the car and go straight home. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't blame anyone for not picking up on those things. No one ever thought that I would be the type of person that were going through those kind of situations. Um, being captain of the club and and just not being able to handle the, the pressure of, of the game got to me. And, you know, as as you know, in, in any sort of sport, you, we become very competitive and we want the best out of ourselves and probably set my goals too high and, um, and I wasn't achieving them. And that's when I was crashing. And it was it just snowboarded and snowboarded and became the perfect storm. And, you know, eventually... 
um, I did what I thought was the, the right thing to do. Um, thank God that, you know, I had some uh, support and great support from especially Parramatta and Canterbury after the fact again and um, and continued to get educated and, and therapy and, you know, seeing psychiatrists. And I was medicated and, and I've come through, you know. Obviously, I wouldn't say that, you know, I'm completely uh, healed from the situation, but I... I uh, definitely in a better place and, and a better understanding just through education. And Jess talks about seeing your GP and you saying about the, the struggles that you went through emotionally and and being on medication. There's no shame, is there, no, on being on medication not. because it's the first step. The hardest thing for me initially was the group therapy, mm. sitting in, around a table with with a, you know, a group of people that I'd never seen in my life, didn't know anything about them, and being able to talk to them openly you know, once a week over a number of months, that was what I got the most out of it. And uh, it put things in perspective for myself um, until I got to a point where, you know, eventually the psychiatrist would, you know, said, look, we'll we'll try different avenues. And, you know, I became healthy. I didn't drink. Um, You know, I I was able to get off the medication eventually. And I I keep going back to education. It's understanding what, what you're going through and understanding why you're feeling these emotions and that it's okay to feel these emotions. Um, rugby league, we're supposed to be tough people, but we, at some point everyone has their breaking point. And for me, it was uh, be the pressure of the game and not getting the most out of my body at a later part of my later stage of my career that uh, really made me crash and, and hit and spiral. But uh, yeah, uh, it was, uh, it turned out good. Yeah, no, I think you're very courageous, mate, for, for sending a really good message to a lot of people that come after you now. Dino, what about yourself? Is there any coaches that that come to mind that had a profound effect on you in regards to coaching the person as I think I think for me, uh, it's uh, some of the other people that were around in clubs. You know, John Hutchinson was a welfare manager at, at three of the clubs that I've, I played at, uh, the, the three clubs that I played at, and I, and I work with him today, and he helped me immensely. Matt, Matt Francis was another guy who, who worked mm-hmm. at the NRL who went out of his way to help me, and I think it's going back to that club thing, um, what people can do in their local area. It's just have those different people around that aren't actually coaching rugby league, but they're still helping out the club, whether it's the, the old lady in the canteen that everyone sees as sort of like an auntie figure or an old old manager or an old groundkeeper. You know, um, we have a, at Redfern where I'm involved, we have a chaplain for the club. We have a lot of Pacific Island players, so we have make sure that we've got some of their fathers around and just so people have always got someone to talk to and then keep giving those different environments that people can talk to. So your football club's not all about just playing footy. Um, you have barbecues, you have bowls days, uh, golf day, you have different fundraisers, you know, different things where people can have different conversations at, at different times. So we're not just all about the rugby league. And I found when I was playing footy, I was lucky to, to get out and, and get involved in different things in the club, not just be there as a footballer. Mm. And it opened up plenty of opportunities for me, but it also gave me opportunities to talk to other people and always bounce my problems off. Now, in juniors, guys, we see a lot of parents on the sidelines, unfortunately, that can be very vocal, very overbearing, puts a lot of pressure on not only the child, their child, but can put a lot of pressure on the overall well-being of a team, have a, a quite a, a negative effect. How do we deal with, if I'm a coach, how do we deal with a parent of that nature? 
Um, I'm a former teacher and um, I understand definitely the pressures that parents can bring and I think it's probably about being consistent with your message and probably addressing the parent group right at the start of the year and making sure that they're aware that you know as part of this team you want these young people to be better for having experienced the game and not just better footballers but better people and making sure that that message stays consistent without and um, never kind of shaming anyone publicly or anything like that. But if you do have an issue, addressing it early and pulling someone aside just to have a chat about what the overall aims are. And, you know, we love to be competitive and we want to win, but we, you know, the wellbeing and education team that is led by Paul Hepdenstall, he always says he wants people to be better from having been part of the game and better people and I think if you can kind of keep your philosophy consistent and you can stay authentic to that and you can role model that as well because if you're going to blow up on the sideline and put pressure on people then that's going to have a ripple effect on your parent group as well so um, I think setting setting the tone yourself and staying true to that is probably pretty important. You know? Yeah I think Jess answered the question yeah. perfectly there and uh, it's just a, it's around modelling that behaviour um, and also being that calm influence on everyone around. I think some parents, um, you know, haven't had, aren't lucky enough to have the training and the experience that we've had in the game. So we've got to teach them that it's not all about winning. It's about improving. It's about being a good sport. It's about learning the other things about rugby league. We're not. We don't play the game. We, we play the game for fun and enjoyment. Um, and winning or losing, uh, we don't play the game to become a winner in life, you know what I mean? We play it to, to, to improve our lives and to make our lives better by learning all the, the values around our game. And I think if we keep uh, reinforcing those messages to our kids, um, you know, that calms their parents down a lot. A coach is becoming a, more like in soccer. They're not, they're not called coaches, they're called managers. Are, Coaches in rugby league becoming more like managers, having to manage so many facets of someone's life, Rennie? Yeah, I think they do. You know, uh, look, a, a coach needs to, they've got to deal with the fans, they've got to deal with the media, they have to deal with the board and the playing group. You know, they, they've got so many factors that they need to uh, to put in place and, and be in control of. So I, I think coaches need, their mental health, health is something that we need to address and make sure they're okay. Um just because they're our leader doesn't mean they don't have, they're just humans just like us. So, um, you know, like you said, they're, they're managers. They've got to deal with a, a diverse group of people. They're under pressure themselves. Um, so I think it's definitely important that coaches uh, get mental health, you know, it's all addressed and, and if they need help, they need to reach out as well. Yeah, you look at um, our coaches and quite often they're in the um, 40 to 49 age gap. Uh, age group for um, men that's the highest risk group for um, suicide so mm. it's funny because when we deal with grassroots clubs they often say um, to the NRL can you come in and can you talk to our young people I'm really worried about our young people I'm scared of you suicide we want support um, but what they don't realize is that them and their colleagues and their peers are actually the most at risk and I think if you want people to reach out to you in tough times and you want people to be able to speak about the mental health difficulties they're having you have to role model that too and um, we talk in our programs we talk about you know the safety briefing on an aeroplane and the fact that they will say put your oxygen mask on before you help others and um, if you're not managing your own health um, then how can you expect others around you too so making sure that coaches who are at risk and who are under pressure um, are also 
you know, practicing self-care and those kind of things and reaching out for support and accessing professional support if they need it is probably very, very important and one way that grassroots coaches can really improve things for their teams. How do you break, how do you break the cycle, Jess? Like, is it just through persistence? Especially in the, in the community areas. Yeah. Not so much the National Rugby League clubs and the players there, but your community areas. How hard is it to break the cycle and with what you're focusing on? Yeah, I think that it is a challenge and it's something in Australia and in New Zealand where I'm from, it's not, we haven't got it right yet. Um, but I think um, the state of mind ambassadors um, and Rennie and um, Clinton Torpy and Preston Campbell and stuff in Queensland, they're doing that because there's nothing more significant to reducing stigma than a lived experience. And so when players and ambassadors are such high profile people, but they share their stories and their journeys with they do so much to break down that stigma, but you don't even have to be high profile to talk about your own journey and your own experiences. That makes it acceptable and makes it okay for other people to talk. Um, you do also need to make sure that when people do talk, when they are ready to talk, that you've well informed and you've got some mental health literacy behind you so that you can listen and you can listen without judgment, but then you can also connect those people. So making sure that you are educated with reliable sources is pretty important too. Rennie, I suppose you come under that category where going out and, and telling your story. How have you found that? I know it's we, we spoke about earlier the transition from rugby league into the office and now getting up and presenting in front of groups of people and telling your story. Has that been an easy process? Has it been a hard process? Have you found some some valuable contributions coming back your way from your presentations? Yeah, I think I have an obligation to, to tell my story. Uh, I did some stuff in the pre-season with the rookie squad and I found it really difficult and choked up a little bit talking in front of a big group of players. Uh, but as time has, has gone on, I, I've really enjoyed it. And um, I don't necessarily tell people what to do, but I, I just tell my story and, and what I did for myself and how I, what got me better. You know, I can't give people advice. And I think, as Jess mentioned, people enjoy listening to it and, you know... I, I get a lot of messages through social media and I try and get back to as many people as I can to talk about, you know, my experience. I never try and give advice because, you know, I'm not a clinician. I'm, I'm not, I don't have a degree in it, but, uh, you know, as time's going on, I'm learning more and more about it. So, um, this, like I said, I do have an obligation to, to tell my story and, and make sure that it doesn't happen down the track to anyone else. Yeah, nice. Now, Jess, outside of coaches, uh, what can clubs do to, in regards to checks, to about being mentally healthy themselves as clubs? Yeah, so there's a number of things that we um, encourage grassroots clubs to set up. Um, you know, even simple things like making sure that there's really visible mental health information around the club, whether that be, you know, a Headspace poster or a Lifeline poster, um, just making sure that things are visible is one step. Um, a lot of clubs now have their own social media and their own websites, and so they can push um, mental health messaging or you know, promote help seeking via their social media websites. Um, they There are lots of clubs now who are starting to build local partnerships with mental health um, professionals and service providers. So, you know, if you have other local relationships, why wouldn't you have a mental health partner as well that you can call on if you need to? Uh, things like Dino talked about, the sports chaplains are a pretty good resource there. Um, and then making sure that your coaches do receive education in that space as well and um, using inclusive language, making sure that our clubs are inclusive. You know, um, people who sit outside of what's considered normal often experience um, higher rates of mental illness. And 
So making sure that we use inclusive language in clubs and that we do make everyone feel welcome and like they have a place to belong is a really simple thing you can do, but it's still very effective in supporting the mental health and well-being of your community. So we talk about the NRL and educating the coaches and officials on mental well-being, and it's tough to get all that to all those community areas. So how have you found is the easiest way to reach in a in a blanket situation? Is it is it more about social media? Is it more about um, interactive through through uh, websites, uh, email. Is that the easiest way that, that people are making connections through the, the regional areas? Um, yeah, there's probably no one best fit and it will be it's about... continuing to evolve. ...local yeah. situations. But um, we have a state of mind program and uh, that's we have funding from Queensland Government to, put, uh, to roll that out with 220 clubs over the next three years in Queensland. So there's a lot of opportunity there for clubs who take, mental health and well-being really seriously and are looking for a tool to kind of really bring about some cultural change there. Um, there is opportunity for country New South Wales and Sydney Metro and Victoria as well and we're looking at some funding in WA to make sure that we can take the program there. So um, as more and more funding becomes available, that opportunity will be extended to more and more clubs. But um, there are things you can do that are very simple and engaging with local services is a really good first step. Now, Dino... I spoke in one of our previous podcasts about the effect that a junior coach had on me when I was 16, 17 years of age and some of the profound messages that he gave me that I still follow today. It's not about rugby league at all, it's about life. You know, what sort of influence can these coaches have on these young players? Oh, greatly. Um, you know, that's where you learn some of your most valuable lessons. And the reason why some of the kids will go and play our game to start with is because they need help in those mm. areas. You know, rugby league uh, historically has always been the game. If your kid was a naughty kid, you'd put him in footy because you'd learn about teamwork, you'd learn about putting effort in, discipline, dedication, all those uh, key things that you need in life to be successful. So, you know, I think um, they, they come there with a need for that. They want that stuff. They, they want to learn those values from playing our game. So, you know, we've got to make sure that everything we do is around those traditional values of discipline, dedication and teamwork, you know, teaching kids all those sort of things, but at their own pace, at, at, the, at the rate that every kid work, uh, works and learns under. So, um, you know, the team is so diverse now compared to any, any other time in the history of the game. You've got to try and um, learn more about yourself so you can learn more about other people. And, um, you know, the only way to do that is to be a good communicator and, and, and try and talk to people about what's going on with their lives and, and why they do things the certain way they do in their life. Well, Rennie touched on it earlier, knowing the diverse backgrounds of, you know, whether you come from a broken home, it might be an affluent family, it might be a single parent family, whatever it may be, whatever culture you come from as well. Can a coach also fill a void that maybe some young players, male or female, that are not getting from their home life? 100%. Like, you know, and um, I even look back on some of my earliest coaches and they're still father figures to mm. me. You know, I feel like they've got that connection with them and their kids are like brothers and sisters, I still feel that connection with them. And that's the beauty of our sport. I think it brings people closer together. It's, it's, a, it's a rugby league family. Rugby league teams and rugby league clubs are an extension to your family. And uh, we've got to cre make, make them more like that, you know, and more understanding of each other, welcome everyone in. And there's no um, more satisfaction as a coach or as a mentor or as a player when you can help turn someone's life around where they're doing doing the wrong thing and they're, they're going down a bad path, but you've, you've made an effort and, and helped turn that around. And, um, you know, sometimes people just need people to reach out for them and, and help them and, and um, just walk along the path with them to, to where they need to go. And 
I think that's what we should be trying to encourage out in our junior rugby leagues and, and our grassroots areas, clubs, is make sure we're there to help people go to where they need to get to. Now, Rennie, once upon a time, there used to be a mindset in rugby league that your coach can't be too close to your players. They always had to, had to have that segregation. You know, I'm coach, your player, know your place. Has that turned 180 now? Is, is, are we in a world now where there's nothing wrong with your coach being too attached to some of their players for particular reasons? I think there might be a little bit of a stigma there but amongst the players that if you are that player there is too close to the coach that you know you might be sucking up to the coach a bit too much. Um, I think it's important that you respect your coach and you have do have a relationship with them but there's still that little bit of segregation between player and coach um, and that's something that we need to address. You know, Dino mentioned it, we're a family. We spend more time together than any other people uh, during the day or, you know, more than our own home, uh, family home. So um, it's about, a, uh, you know, bridging that gap and, and making sure that everyone sticks together and, and, and you can have a relationship with the coach because at the end of the day, they're our leader and that's who we respect and who we listen to and who we, we were out there to perform for. So, um, yeah, I'd like to see a more of a personal relationship with their coach, but again... Like I mentioned earlier, they've got a lot to deal with themselves. So their support staff needs to really step up and, and make sure they have a relationship with the player as well. Because confidentially, the coaches would, would know a lot more about the individual player than what the playing group would. So just having that relationship between player and coach is very important now because, as I said, the player and the, sorry, the coach would have a little bit more of an understanding of what that player is individually going through just through the, the welfare systems within the club. Yeah, and there's little things like um, one of the changes in behaviour that you can see when um, people are struggling with a mental health concern is, um, you know, a lack of energy or, a, um, you know, lethargy. And if you can tell that the person who used to be leading the fitness drills is now at the back, you know, the coach is the person that's going to be able to kind of pick up that lack of energy and be able to ask some questions as to why that is. But um, with coaching, I think there's still a little bit of stigma out there. If I disclose that I have a mental health concern or I have a mental illness, that's going to impact on my selection. And that's something that we need to be really careful about and um, communicate that, you know, physical injuries and mental health injuries are going to be considered the same and that if you are struggling, we would know and that's not going to impact your selection because that's still a barrier for people to help seek. And I think the more that the players know you as a person, um, not just a coach, the more comfortable they are to approach you when something isn't right. And I think that's something we should be striving for at all levels of the game. Do you know how important is it for the coach to manage a relationship amongst the playing group? Because we have we have strong players. We've got some players that are a little bit more uh, introverted. Uh, we've got bullying in junior, junior rugby league and schooling, whatever it may be. How important is it for the coach to manage those relationships? Uh, it's it's very difficult, and uh, you know, in in some communities, uh, it's a lot different to um, to what it, what it, you know. You, you take a coach who coaches that uh, mascot in the city. Well, the coach out at a small community out the back of Burke or Bree Warner, he's going to deal with a lot more different things coming out of the community than what that coach will be. So, you've got to um, be ready to be a leader in those areas. Um, there's always going to be dramas coming from either school or other areas that kids will bring into your team. 
But if you can, you know, have those strong values around your team about respect and, and, and dealing with problems and communicating and, and, and you become a, a sort of a, a leader in teaching kids how to deal with some of these problems. Um, and remind, going back to those values that I was talking about before and teamwork as being one of them, you know, sometimes teams have to confront issues and have honest conversations. The successful teams are straight on top of those sort of things. You can still do that at a grassroots level as well. If, you know, if there's any dramas coming in from the community and stuff like that, well, let's get on top of it. Let's work together and let's remember we're a team and we all want the best for each other. And, um, you know, I've just coaching at a grassroots level, there's always those things that pop up. But the best way to do it is, you know, bring people together, communicate, talk, to, uh, be a mediator and get over the problem. And as soon as you get back on the train and field, guess what? It's all forgotten about 10 minutes later. Mm. Well, thanks very much, guys. Some really strong messages there to, that I think we're going to educate our coaches even further. But Jess, just, just before we wrap up, um, where where will we go if we do need help as coaches? Yeah, um, the NRL State of Mind website is a good place to start for more information, help sh- sheets and um, connections to services. So www.nrl.com slash stateofmind. Um, if you are concerned about yourself or somebody else and you're in crisis, Lifeline is a really important um, phone number to have saved in your phone. Kids Helpline for kids who are 5 to 25. If I was a coach, I would make sure that all of my young people in my care had that number. Um, and then Headspace is another really good service. So um, making sure that you do Google the locations of those and making sure that you know where they are is a really important part of your coaching setup. Yeah, so once again, fantastic uh, fantastic from all three of you here this afternoon. Some really great messages that, uh, that you're going to give our coaches. And uh, again, thanks very much for joining us on our second installment of Tackle Coaching. Thank you.